Tucker Carlson says we are on track to run out of diesel in three weeks. If that happens, the trucks and trains in the USA all stop. We need to talk on the special edition of the Doc Washburn Show. Welcome to the Voice of the Resistance with Doc Washburn. We are the show that pushes back against the Uniparty and lets you in on the news that traditional talk radio is all too often afraid to talk about. This is episode 270 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show for Friday, October 28th, 2022. Just so you understand where I'm coming from, I was fired by one of the biggest radio companies in America, Cumulus Media, simply because I refused their vaccine mandate. More evidence comes out all the time. A lot of people are having serious negative reactions to the vaccines. Also, I will never call Joe Biden president because it's obvious the last U.S. presidential election was stolen. I will never pretend a man can become a woman, and I will never forget about the January 6th political prisoners most Republican politicians refuse to even mention. On August 8th, 2022, the day the Biden regime's secret police conducted an unprecedented and unconstitutional raid on the home of a former president of the United States is a day that shall live in infamy. So this is a really different kind of talk show. We're unmasked, uncensored, and unfiltered. If you'd like to support what we do, go to our website, docwashburn.com, and click on the button that says Become a Patron. Also, please remember to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an episode. All right, I want to start off momentarily here. Before we get to Tucker, we've got the data analyst research fellow for the Heritage Foundation, a fellow named E.J. Antoni, who was recently on Newsmax with Chris Salcedo. And you'll hear first Chris Salcedo's question about running out of diesel, and then E.J. Antoni from the Heritage Foundation, Foundation's answer, and then we're going to get right into what Tucker Carlson was talking about. As Bloomberg and other sources are reporting out there, that we have less than 20 days left of diesel fuel in the entire country. As you know, this fuel, as you made allusion to, it's an integral part of the U.S. economy. It's how we get our goods to market. It's how we get, uh, whether whether you're buying food or whether you're being uh, uh, maybe stocking your Thanksgiving table or maybe you're putting presents under the Christmas tree. If these reports are accurate, how devastating would it be if America simply runs out of diesel fuel courtesy of Democrats. Well, you know, we have to remember, and with all due respect to to Dunkin' Donuts, America doesn't run on Dunkin'. America runs on diesel. Every time you pick an item up off a store shelf, it got there either on a truck or a train or both, and they ran on diesel fuel. So it is no exaggeration to say that the economy would grind to a halt and the effects would be devastating if we actually ran out of diesel fuel. Indeed. Indeed. All right, a big thank you to Tyler Stone over at Real Clear Politics for highlighting Tucker Carlson's opening monologue from Thursday evening and going to the trouble of transcribing the monologue. So here's what Fox News host Tucker Carlson said when he weighed in on the energy crisis Thursday evening, October 27, 2022, stemming from the Russia-Ukraine war. Tucker said there are a lot of faraway places in this world, Namibia, for example, but Europe is not one of them. 
Europe is where your kids spent junior year abroad. Europe is an easy flight from the east coast of the United States to pretty much anywhere in the continent, on the continent, and you know this. You've been on vacation in Europe. Well, I've never been out of the States, but a lot of people he's talking to have been. You've been on vacation in Europe, as millions of Americans have. For the most part, they speak English in Europe. They've got Starbucks and Taco Bell and air conditioning and modern hospitals. It's not another world. Given how closely related the United States is to Europe and has always been, you would imagine our leaders would notice when Europe began to fall apart, especially when the signs were not subtle at all, and they weren't subtle. This summer, Germans began clearing this summer, Germans began clear-cutting ancient forests to heat their homes. In Poland, families queued up for hours to buy coal just like they did 150 years ago. In the UK, the government projected that more than 10,000 Britons will freeze to death, will die this winter for lack of heating fuel, freeze to death in England. 10,000 people projected this winter. That is not supposed to happen in a first world country. Europe is moving backward at high speed, and it's not clear where it will end. The question is, why is this happening? The answer for once is a very simple one. The war in Ukraine. That's why it's happening. A huge percentage of Europe's energy came from Russia. Those imports have now been banned, supposedly to punish Vladimir Putin. What is the result of this punishment? Well, the Russian ruble is now far stronger than it was a year ago. The European economy, meanwhile, is collapsing. Europeans are much poorer than they were when the war in Ukraine started. How is that a victory for Europe, the West, and democracy? Well, that's a fair question. It's an obvious question, but no one in Washington appears to be asking that question. Instead, the Biden administration is doubling down on the self-destructive mistakes that are destroying the European Union. The White House banned Russian oil, natural gas, and coal. It was our moral duty, they said. Then at the same time, the Biden administration crushed domestic oil production here by canceling oil and gas leases. And then, as if that wasn't enough, the Biden administration sold a piece of our strategic petroleum reserve, maybe this country's most important resource, to China. None of this hurt Putin in any way. All of it impoverishes the United States. What could possibly be the justification for doing that? We've wondered. Anyone who's paying attention has had to have wondered that also. Well, this week, Congressman Jamie Raskin of Maryland, of Bethesda, Maryland, answered that question. You see, Russia is an Orthodox 
Christian country with traditional social values, and for that reason, Congressman Raskin says it must be destroyed, no matter what the cost to us. This is not a conventional war. This is a jihad. Jamie Raskin said that out loud, but many in Washington agree with him in both parties. They would like to see World War trans immediately. What is a jihad going to mean for you? Well, the details are stunning. Thanks to the Biden administration's religious war in Ukraine, this country is about to run out of diesel fuel. According to data from the Energy Information Administration, by the Monday of Thanksgiving week, 25 days from now, there will be no more diesel. What's going to happen then? Well, everything will stop. That means trucks and trains and barges all unable to move. Farm equipment will shut down. There will be no deliveries because there will be no trucks. There will be no diesel generators, and then inevitably, our economy will crash because everything runs on diesel fuel. Not on solar panels, not on wind farms, but on diesel fuel. Diesel is not a negotiable commodity. You have to have diesel. What happens when we don't have it? Well, yesterday, Fox's Jackie Heinrich, apparently alone in the White House press corps, asked the White House spokesman, John Kirby, that very question. What's the plan here? We're running out of diesel. John Kirby, standing at the podium, representing the White House, the President of the United States, the administration, the largest organization in human history, the executive branch of government, had no answer. But don't worry, he said. We will be exporting plenty of energy to Europe to help fight that progressive crusade in Ukraine. Here it is. What are we doing to increase the supply of diesel, given that the Energy Information Administration said as of October 14th, the U.S. only had about a 25-day supply. You have yeah. Northeast and, and New York already rationing home heating oil. What are we doing to prepare for the winter and to ramp up the supply of diesel? I'll, I'll take the question on the diesel, because I just don't have the, the data on that in front of me. So let me take that, and, and, uh, and we'll get back to you on that. But, but writ large, the, the president has been working very, very hard. Uh, to make sure that we're uh, that not only are, are are we ready for fluctuations that could come, and of course the prices are going down, and, and we think that's important, um, uh, but that we are also doing what we can to help our European friends and partners who are also going to be facing a long cold winter. We have doubled our commitment. The commitment he made in March for natural gas exports to Europe, we've doubled that commitment um, in terms of actual you know, uh, getting things over there, getting natural gas over there, and we are working with foreign suppliers of natural gas uh, and oil to see if we can't help our European partners diversify their own storage and supplies. Just pause and savor the irony here, just for a moment, because now everything is irony. They've been telling you for decades, since Al Gore left the White House, 
that the single greatest threat to the world was warming. And because of their efforts to fight warming, you are in danger of freezing, and unlike warming, freezing actually kills people, a lot of people, every year. And it will kill people in the West this year thanks to their efforts to fight warming. The second thing to notice is the White House spokesman's totally uninterested, blasé response to the most basic question anyone could ask, which is, what are we doing about the fact that we're running out of diesel fuel? He has no idea. And he's not embarrassed that he has no idea. The problem is, at this point, there may not be an answer because there may not be a way to avoid a disaster. Diesel fuel is not just low in this country. It's low in every Western nation that has aligned itself with Ukraine. All these nations preparing for World War trans are running out of diesel fuel. As New York Magazine has reported, the last time there was this little supply of diesel, there were about three and a half billion fewer people on the planet. Well, that puts it into perspective. The Biden administration responded, as you know, earlier this year to rising gas prices, which they feared above all because because the midterms are coming in two weeks. They responded to that by tapping the strategic petroleum reserves, but that will not work here. The Northeast Home Heating Oil Reserve contains a million barrels of diesel in case of emergencies. The problem is, That demand is so high across the board that, according to the Washington Post, even if the Biden administration used every single barrel in that stockpile, that stockpile would be empty in less than six hours. And, of course, it's not just diesel that's running out. Jet fuel is up about 23% in just the last month. Kerosene, which if you don't live in New York City, you know perfectly well, is used to heat people's homes and keep them from dying, is now close to $7 a gallon. Who heats with kerosene, by the way? Poor people heat with kerosene. And they're the ones who can't get it. $7 a gallon. In New England, people are worried about freezing to death this winter. Here is a local Fox report from Hartford, Connecticut. West Hartford homeowner Sharona Resnick-Kravitz has been paying for oil to heat her home for more than 35 years. I mean, this is New England. It gets cold here. We're cold. Sharona is a widow living on a fixed income. She says before her husband passed away, they shared the bills. Now she is having to make sacrifices. How are you preparing and trying to figure out what can you sacrifice at this point? Um, food. I go to the grocery store and I'm very frugal about what I buy. She tells me at $6 a gallon, buying oil has become a huge burden. The average home uses 800 gallons of oil per year. That's almost $5,000 at the current rate. This shouldn't be happening in this of all countries. The United States 
has some of the deepest, by some measures, the deepest, energy reserves on the planet. It's our main strength. Cheap energy is the reason this is a rich country. That is the reason. That is why we are exceptional, because we have cheap energy. And this country was energy independent just a few years ago. Now, if you want to fix the economy, you would make this country energy independent once again. You would bring back cheap energy. That will fix the economy quicker than anything else. That's the only thing that will fix the economy. But the Biden administration, for whatever reason, has done exactly the opposite. Depleting our strategic petroleum reserve, for example, they just released another 15 million barrels the other day because they know that's running out. The White House is also begging foreign governments for help in the most humiliating possible way. Biden just went and begged the Saudis in secret for more oil. As the New York Times reported this week by his top aides, they thought they had struck a secret deal to boost oil production through the end of the year. But then the Saudi royal family decided not to go along with it. They're not ramping up their oil production. They're doing just the opposite. Saudi's oil manager, Prince Abdulaziz bin Salman, is now telling the West to brace for energy shortages. Now, if you saw Tucker Thursday night, you you know this. If you didn't, you probably don't because nobody is talking about it. Here's the Saudi oil minister. It is my profound duty to make it clear to the world that losing emergency stock may become painful in the months to come. An energy shortage is not really a debate over whether some dude should be on the girls' swim team. This is adult stuff. Countries rise and fall on the basis of what energy costs, and when there's a real energy shortage, things fall apart. People die. Economies collapse. Poverty sets in. Systemic poverty, not just in the bad part of town, but in your part of town. This is a real thing. The problem is the people running the government are children. They not only can't admit what they have done wrong, they don't even understand what they've done wrong. Here's Karine Jean-Pierre, the glass-ceiling-shattering spokeswoman at the White House, addressing the question yesterday, from Wolf Blitzer of CNN. I'm anxious to get your thoughts on this New York Times report that U.S. officials thought they had a deal with the Saudis before the president went to Jeddah in Saudi Arabia for his meeting with the crown prince. Uh, uh, but they thought they had a deal on oil supplies and oil uh, price of oil, but uh, that uh, the Saudis backed out of that deal. What can you tell us about So we have been uh, very clear about uh, how we believe uh, parts of that report was mischaracterized, and there has been um, some changes that have been made to that report. Look, we've also 
also been clear that our trip, that the president's trip to the Middle East was not about oil. Was there an understanding, Karim, with the Saudis that the Saudis then backed away from? Again, the trip was not about oil. This is embarrassing. She can't even conjugate the verb correctly. This is the spokesperson. It's a joke. She doesn't know what oil is, and she's lying. They're all like that. These people are not capable of running a country this big and this complex, and that's why it's falling apart. Joe Biden is blaming gas stations for high prices. How's Kamala Harris responding to all of this? Well, she's responding to diesel shortage by telling you diesel is bad. Here she is. I have a particular fondness, I must tell you, for electric school buses. I love electric school buses. (laughs) On a daily basis, 25 million children in our country every day go to school on those diesel-fueled school buses. And hundreds, thousands of school bus drivers are driving those buses, which are then these people... These children, these adults, are inhaling what is toxic air. Okay, so the lady who never had children is lecturing you about children. The person who never had a real job is lecturing you about energy policy. The woman who told you masks would stop COVID is telling you about diesel fumes and their effect on your body. This is a joke. The truth is these people are bumping right smack up against reality, and here's the reality. We have 25 days to avert economic catastrophe. Catastrophe is what will happen if we run out of diesel fuel. That's more important than prosecuting a jihad in Ukraine. It's more important than World War trans. Everything depends on this, and we've got 25 days to fix it. Now, that was Tucker Carlson's monologue, opening monologue, to his show on Fox News Channel Thursday night. And I appreciate Tucker for trying to shake us out of our lethargy. And I also appreciate Tyler Stone over at RealClearPolitics.com for going to the trouble of transcribing the whole monologue. Because I I wouldn't have had time to. And I can't just play you a 13-minute monologue by Tucker. Now, Tucker laid the foundation for the conversation, but he only had 13 minutes to talk about it. I've got more. I got more time, and I got more information. And I'm going to be sharing that with you coming right up. As soon as I mention something about our partners, our advertising partners, our friends who we appreciate so much, like Mitch Ward at Red River, if you've tried to buy a car recently, you realize there's such a chip shortage that you may have a hard time finding what you're looking for. People I know 
have actually bought vehicles from hundreds of miles away from where they live. That's where Red River Your Way comes in. Red River Your Way is a big old car dealership in the middle of the USA that believes in freedom. Freedom to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV the way you want to. You can buy online, and they will drive it to you no matter where you are. Red River Your Way wants to make your car buying experience as easy and transparent as possible. That's why they've added technology to their website that puts you in complete control of your payment options and allows you to complete the entire purchase process online. But don't worry. Red River experts are still here to help you every step of the way if you have any questions. Red River makes it so easy. As you browse their selection, you'll see each vehicle has a button that says Explore Payment Options on it. Clicking that guides you through a few easy questions that then create personalized payment options you have complete control over. All you have to do is adjust your preferences and all the math happens automatically so you can figure out what monthly payment works best for your budget. Red River Your Way makes car buying online easy. Your whole car buying process is completely transparent. If you want to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV, order online from the nationwide car dealer that believes in freedom. The dealer that will deliver your vehicle to your front door no matter where you live, RedRiverYourWay.com. You will be glad you did. All right. Thank you, Mitch Ward. Appreciate that. Now, having said that, I got to tell you, my mission in life, and what I fail at every day, is to glorify the Lord. But every day, I repent of my sin, I pick myself back up, and I go for it again. All of our missions should be to glorify the Lord. If that means supporting an organization that lives by biblical principles and promotes our God-given rights to freedom, then I am all in. I'm talking to you about Patriot Mobile. They are America's only Christian conservative wireless carrier. Now more than ever, it's important to band together and support companies that share our conservative values. Patriot Mobile donates a portion of every dollar earned to organizations that fight for causes you care about. Patriot Mobile has exceptional nationwide coverage and uses the same towers the main carriers use. Patriot Mobile has plans to fit any budget, along with great discounts for our veterans and first responder heroes, as well as multi-line users. Hey, I'm paying a lot less with Patriot Mobile than I was with a major cell phone carrier, and I'm not a veteran or a first responder. They have good prices for everybody. When you switch to Patriot Mobile, you're shifting your support from the leftist progressive agendas of Big Mobile to the Christian conservative causes of Patriot Mobile. When you become a Patriot Mobile member, your dollars are helping to fund our God-given right to freedom. A portion of every dollar they earn is given back to the causes that support organizations that fight for First Amendment religious freedom, freedom of speech, Second Amendment right to bear arms, sanctity of life, and the needs of our veterans and first responders. Switching is easy. Just go to PatriotMobile.com or call their U.S.-based customer service team at 972-PATRIOT. Make sure you use the promo code DOC, D-O-C, for free activation. Also, Patriot Mobile 
now offers competitive business plans to suit companies of any size. If you are a conservative-owned business, tired of seeing your hard-earned dollars go to corporate woke agendas, switch to Patriot Mobile Business now. Learn more at business.patriotmobile.com or call their 100% U.S.-based member services team at 469-FREEDOM. Be sure to use promo code DOC, D-O-C, for free activation. That's business.patriotmobile.com or 469-FREEDOM. And thank you to Glenn Story and the whole crew there at Patriot Mobile. We appreciate you all more than you'll ever know. All right. So I want to look for follow-up on what Tucker said about the possibility of running out of diesel in about three weeks. I want to take a look at Michael Schellenberger over on Substack. And because it gets worse, top Democrats urge Biden to nationalize oil and gas industry. They think that's the answer to our energy crisis. Now, this dovetails with what Tucker just said. These people are children. They don't understand how anything works. They don't understand what anything is. Now, remember, Robert Gates, Secretary of Defense, the last one under Bush, the first one under Obama, once said that Joe Biden has been wrong about every foreign policy issue for at least 40 years. Everything. And he was serving in the Obama-Biden administration. Just so you know. All right, let me tell you what Michael Schellenberg is saying. Calls for Biden to socialize industry have moved quickly from fringe to mainstream. That's the subtitle. The, the main title is Top Dems Urge Biden to Nationalize Oil and Gas Industry. It's at michaelschellenberger.substack.com. He says, the energy crisis is worsening. The U.S. has fewer than 30 days of diesel and other distillate fuels. The lowest level since 1945. Well, yeah, a lot less than 30. If you're hearing this on Saturday, the 29th, that means we're down to 23 days. But I digress. Schellenberger says supplies are so low that there will be shortages and price spikes within six months unless the U.S. enters recession, experts warn. Well, we're already in recession. Two quarters negative growth. They're already in recession. And if we run out of diesel in a little over three weeks, why are they saying within six months? Anyway. In response, the Biden administration is releasing more oil from the, from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. But the reserves are of crude oil, not refined oil products such as diesel. And the releases are stifling investment 
and future oil production. Saudi Arabia's energy minister warned earlier this week people are depleting their energy stocks. Losing emergency stocks may become painful in the months to come. Now, in response, influential Democrats, including a leading U.S. Senate candidate, well, he got beat in the primary, but he was a leading U.S. Senate candidate, a former Department of Energy official and an influential energy expert are urging the U.S. government to socialize America's oil and gas firms. You hear that? Do you know what happens when a country nationalizes its energy industry? You ever heard of Venezuela? That's what happens. By the way, if you're thinking, well, that could never happen here. Yeah, that could never happen here. Let me see if I can find that clip from Corinne Jean-Pierre from the other day. Yeah. I think I know where to look for that. Here it is. You can't make it up. How seriously is the administration considering a ban on um, U.S. petroleum products? So um, everything is on the table. Uh, don't have anything right now uh, to preview. Clearly, our focus today is to uh, make sure that we uh, deliver on the president's promise, is to continue to lower gas prices for the American people. Uh, but again, I don't have anything to preview uh, at this time. Now, you know, before you listen to that, you're thinking the worst possible thing could happen would be for the government to nationalize the energy industry, right? To take control of the oil and gas industry. That would be the worst possible thing that could happen, right? But that's not what the question was about, was it? No, no. The question was whether the Biden regime is considering doing away with U.S. petroleum products. Do you have any idea how widespread that will be? Oh, we're talking a lot more than fuel for your gas tank. I mean, all kinds of packaging and stuff that you buy is petroleum-based. Go back to what Tucker said. These people are children. They don't understand anything. They literally don't have any idea how anything works. If the press secretary was someone who did, she would laugh to the reporter instead of saying, well, everything's on the table. Never know. Never know. But I digress. Let me go back to Schellenberger. At the Houston conference last week, Jason Bordoff Dean of Columbia University's Climate School. See, the whole climate change, global warming thing is a hoax. But Columbia University is spending millions. Jason Bordoff, Dean of Columbia University's Climate School, called for the nationalization of oil and gas companies. 
He said government must take an active role in owning assets that will become stranded and plan to strand those assets. Now, when Bordoff, again, dean of Columbia University's climate school, uses the word strand, he means to make financially worthless. Bordoff made the point at least twice during the conference. His call to nationalize the oil and gas industry shocked a lot of people in the audience. Someone who was at the conference said, Jason is smart, well-informed, and well-connected to the Biden administration, so these comments are scary. Well, he's not smart. He's stupid. How can you not see what happened in Venezuela? And think, oh, but yeah, but we we uh, we could do it better here, yeah. Because unlike uh, unlike the brown skinned people who speak Spanish, we're you know white skinned people mostly who speak um, English, and you know we've gone to all the best schools, Columbia and Princeton and Yale and you know, the Ivy League, so you know we can handle it. I'm telling you, that's what these people believe. But I digress. Michael Schellenberg says. The calls come on the heels of two other Democrat-led efforts to expand U.S. government control over oil and gas production. One is a piece of legislation called NOPEC, that's OPEC with an N in the front of it, which passed the Senate Judiciary Committee in May. The bill would change U.S. antitrust law to revoke a policy of sovereign immunity, which protects OPEC members from lawsuits. Got it? If NOPEC becomes law, the U.S. Attorney General could sue Saudi Arabia and other OPEC members in court. The result could be a disruption of global supplies of oil and other commodities if nations retaliated against the U.S. Okay, wait, 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 wait. How far have we fallen? The last president wrote a book called The Art of the Deal. And you know, kind of operated on that basis. So this guy's like, no, let's just sue him. Sue the people upon which we depend to keep vehicles going down our highways. Got it? So, two other Democrat-led efforts. First is the NOPEC bill. The other is an effort led by Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen to cap the price of Russian oil sold on global markets, which Schellenberger says, I and many other experts have warned since June is unworkable because China and India have said they would circumvent it and it could backfire, resulting in far higher oil prices. Last week, analysts with Rapidan Energy told the same Houston conference that the December 5 implementation of the Russian price cap could reduce global supplies of oil 
by one and a half million barrels per day. Such an amount would create an oil price shock. Earlier this month, Bordoff told the World Economic Forum, which has called for a great reset, to quickly move from fossil fuels to renewables, that climate change required a massive transition that is going to be messy. It's going to be disruptive. Bordoff said, I think part of the broader macro environment that's happening now is one of more disruptive change because of climate impacts, but also more disruptive change because of geopolitics coming out of the pandemic, coming out of this conflict, completely rethinking what the World Economic Forum is all about. Bordoff then sounded an even darker note. He said, if you want to take a goal like that seriously, it is going to be jagged. It's going to be messy. It's going to be disruptive. We need more, not fewer, policy tools to smooth the pathway because if people have trouble paying their energy bills, heating their homes, have issues with energy security, affordability, they take to the streets. Oh, so he's noticed what's going on in Europe. Okay. And that's not only bad economically and geopolitically, it makes it harder to have an energy transition and stay the course with the kind of climate policy we need. Bordoff's comments were a reprise of many of the themes that he made in an article in the Foreign Affairs magazine earlier this year. He wrote, The clean energy transition demands a complete transformation of the global economy, and poor countries will need to follow development trajectories different from the ones taken by rich countries. Developing countries will have to to rely far less on fossil fuels. Bordoff is not the first prominent Democrat to call for nationalizing the oil and gas industry. Wisconsin State Senator Tom Nelson, who was defeated in the primary for the Democrat primary for U.S. Senate by Mandela Barnes. Anyway, over the summer, Tom Nelson said he's a state legislator in Wisconsin. He said, Fossil fuel dependency undermines national security. If global warming continues unabated, huge swaths of the planet will be uninhabitable by the end of the century. See, it's always further out, right? He's talking 78 years from now. Nobody paying attention to what he says is still going to be alive then. That's the way they do this. That's the way communists operate. Anyway, he continues saying the oil industry is on the ropes and it's only a matter of time before it is bailed out, bailed out or nationalized. A few weeks earlier, William S. Becker, a former U.S. Department of Energy regional director, argued in TheHill.com that the government should nationalize big oil. He said that would allow the government to manage the industry's drawdown, a process that the private sector is ignoring. Well, the private sector is ignoring any sort of perceived drawdown of the oil and gas industry because we don't want everything closing up. We don't want to turn into Venezuela. And I don't care 
if he's a former U.S. Department of Energy regional director or not, William S. Becker is a lunatic. He's stark raving mad. But he laid out the exact same argument made by Bordoff. He said, a coalition of climate action groups showed the world's 60 largest banks financed nearly $4 trillion in fossil energy projects over the last five years, investments that could be stranded and lead to more requested taxpayer bailouts when the carbon bubble pops. Doesn't have to be that way, you know. Becker and Bordoff are calling for taxpayers to buy oil and gas companies so that the federal government can shut them down. Becker explains in one scenario, the federal government could buy a controlling interest in the three most dominant oil companies, ExxonMobil, Chevron, and Conoco. The cost would be around $350 billion, a trivial amount compared with unmitigated climate change. Again, it's a hoax. It doesn't exist. But anyway, or the $5 trillion the government spent on COVID-19 relief, the nation's defense budget this year, $778 billion, or fossil fuels, $630 billion annual damages to public health and the environment. Okay, fossil fuels don't damage public health and the environment. But again, he's a communist, so he's going to lie to you. Similarly, Bordoff pointed to the incompatibility between the Biden administration's contradictory goals of phasing out fossil fuels while increasing oil and gas production to meet rising demand. Progressive columnist Tom Hartman made the case for nationalization in Salon.com in April. He said if ever there was an industry that merited nationalization, the fossil fuel industry is it. They manipulate prices to both enhance profits and swing elections, bribe their way through the halls of Congress, and pump out a steady stream of lies about climate change. No, no, that's what you do, Tom Hartman. Anyway, he said, all while pouring hundreds of billions into the money bins of their morbidly rich CEOs, shareholders, and senior executives. By the way, um, did you know that oil companies do not set the price of energy? Now, that's what traders in Wall Street do. Somebody tried to explain that to uh, Bill O'Reilly one time. He didn't want to hear it. Didn't want to hear it. And it's a lot easier to just blame the big, bad oil companies. Anyway, calls for nationalizing oil and gas firms started in radical left publications earlier this year. Um, One of those publications is called Truth Out, where a guy named uh, C.J. Politronio wrote an article called Nationalizing Fossil Fuel Industry as a Practical Solution to Rising Inflation. C.J. Politronio as a political scientist, political economist, author, and journalist. So, never worked in the fossil fuel industry, but but he's going to tell you 
He says the more basic solution here would be for the government to take over the fossil fuel industry in the U.S. He said under a nationalized fossil fuel industry, the necessary phase out of fossil fuels as an energy source can proceed in an orderly fashion. Okay, so this guy thinks the federal government, which has a $31 trillion in debt, is the entity to proceed in an orderly fashion on anything. But I digress. Michael Schellenberger continues. The author's argument was similar to the one advanced by Becker and Bordoff. He said the government could then set fossil fuel energy prices to reflect the needs of both consumers and the imperatives of the clean energy transition. At present, the U.S. government could purchase controlling interest in the three dominant U.S. oil and gas companies, ExxonMobil, Chevron, and Conoco, for about $350 billion. This would be less than 10% of the $4 trillion that the Federal Reserve pumped into Wall Street during the COVID crisis. Are they all reading from the same choir book here? It sounds like it. Bordoff's comments were a reprise of many of the themes he made in the Foreign Affairs article. He said the combination of pressure on investors to divest from fossil fuels and uncertainty about the future of oil is already raising concerns that investment levels may plummet in the coming years, leading oil supplies to decline faster than demand falls or to, to, or to decline even as demand continues to rise as it is doing today. That outcome will produce periodic shortages and hence higher and more volatile oil prices. But, but they don't mind that. They don't mind that at all. Because in their minds, they're not going to be the ones affected by it. They're that stupid. They don't think they're going to be affected by it. It's just the poor folks, you know, the poor folks. Wow. I got more. Coming up, we're going to deal with uh, kind of what's going on right now from some energy websites. Coming up momentarily. First of all, thank you so much to our advertisers, our friends, for making it possible for us to continue doing this show. And here's one. Are you having problems with sinuses and allergies? Are you experiencing dizziness, vertigo, psoriasis, migraines even? The Arkansas Cervical Center might be able to help you. In case this makes no sense to you whatsoever, let me explain to you how it works. Your skull weighs anywhere from 8 to 15 pounds. It rests on the top bone of your spinal column, the atlas, which only weighs 2 ounces. So that's pretty precarious deal there. So it's really easy for your atlas to get out of alignment. If it does, your whole spinal column can get kinked up like a chain. When that happens, your central nervous system isn't able to communicate with the rest of your body as it is designed to do. I had severe hay fever for five or six weeks every spring all my life. 
when I got my atlas adjusted, the hay fever went away and it never came back. The migraines went away too. Again, if you're suffering from sinus conditions, allergies, vertigo, blood sugar issues, migraines, do yourself a favor. Call my friends at Arkansas Upper Cervical Center, 501-279-2009 for a free consultation. They've helped me, my wife, and so many people we know. Please call them to see if they can help you. That number again for your free consultation, 501-279-2009. Now, if you're outside central Arkansas, and this sounds like something you want to check into, go to their website, turnmypoweron.com, click on the button that says find a doctor near you, and I sure hope you can. Thank you so much to Dr. J.R. Crabtree and his wife, Dr. Tanya Crabtree, our advertising partners, our doctors, and our friends for help making it possible for us to continue doing this show. Day in and day out, week in and week out, now into our second year. And we're so thankful for that. All right. So we want to look at what's going on right now because of, you know, what are the ramifications already, okay, because of what's coming down. Over at Reuters, and this dropped Thursday evening about 8 p.m. Central. John Kemp at Reuters, article entitled, U.S. Diesel Shortage Increasingly Likely Until Economy Slows. U.S. diesel supplies are becoming critically low with shortages and price spikes likely to occur in the next six months unless and until the economy and fuel consumption slow. Stocks of diesel and other distillate fuel oils were just 106 million barrels on October 21st, the lowest for this time of year since the U.S. Energy Information Administration started collecting weekly data in 1982. Distillate inventories were a massive 26 million barrels below the seasonal average for the previous 10 years. And they linked to the the Energy Information Administration's website, you know, that's part of the government. The deficit has been worsening steadily since the start of the year when stocks were 15 million barrels below the 10-year average. By the end of July, stocks had already fallen to 113 million barrels, the lowest since 1996, and before that, 1954, based on the most recent data available from the EIA's more comprehensive monthly surveys. In terms of consumption, however, inventories at the end of July were equivalent to just 30 days of demand, the lowest seasonal level in monthly records going back to 1945. Since then, the inventory position has tightened even further, with stocks estimated to have fallen to a record seasonal low of fewer than 27 days of demand in October. Reflecting the intensifying fuel shortage, futures prices for ultra-low sulfur diesel delivered in New York Harbor in December are trading at a premium of $60 per barrel over Brent. 
the 12-month calendar spread for ultra-low sulfur diesel futures has flared out to a backwardization of $50 per barrel from less than $10 this time last year as traders anticipate physical shortages. See, this is traders. This is not oil companies. I don't care what Bill O'Reilly said. The oil companies do not establish the price. It's the traders on Wall Street. But I digress. Reuters continues. As a result, retail diesel prices, including applicable taxes, are now $1.45 per gallon higher than for gasoline, a record premium up from just $0.24 per gallon higher a year ago. Distillate fuel oil is primarily used in freight transport, manufacturing, farming, mining, and the oil and gas industry itself. So consumption is strongly influenced by the economic cycle. Growth in distillate consumption has been closely correlated with changes in industrial production estimated by the U.S. Federal Reserve and manufacturing activity in surveys by the Institute for Supply Management. Stabilizing, then rebuilding inventories to more comfortable levels will require a significant slowdown in freight movements and manufacturing activity. There are early indications manufacturing and freight activity peaked in the third quarter of 2022. If confirmed, that would take some of the pressure off of distillate inventories, but a deeper and more prolonged slowdown in the United States and or in Europe and Asia will be needed to boost inventories significantly. Rebalancing diesel supply will likely require a further rise in interest rates and tighter financial conditions in the United States and other major economies to reduce fuel consumption to more sustainable levels. Okay, that's Reuters. U.S. diesel shortage increasingly likely until economy slows from Thursday evening. Okay. Kevin Dugan over at uh, the Intelligencer on October 20th, he writes about markets. He said, well, the, the article is entitled Joe Biden's Big Diesel Problem. And he said on Wednesday, which would have been October 19th, Joe Biden announced the federal government would be selling another 15 million barrels of oil from the U.S. Strategic Reserves after pulling 180 million barrels out of it over the past six months, drawing it down to multi-decade lows. Biden has also called on oil companies to lower prices and is mulling a ban on exports. Oh, sent up a trial balloon, mulling a ban on exports. Yeah, right. Now, you're going to keep exporting stuff to China. You know that. All these moves designed to keep the price of gas from rising much more in the near future, uh, that means before the election, when there just happens to be a major election. Oh, yeah, there you go, where there just happens to be a major election. Like the hydrocarbon itself, the price of oil is volatile. The war in Ukraine has choked global supply. Oil-producing companies have slashed productions, and cold weather is already here. Drawing down the country's Petroleum reserves isn't anybody's idea of a long-term fix, but this latest round does appear to be having some kind of effect since the average gallon of regular gas in the U.S. costs about $0.08 less than it did a couple of weeks ago, according to AAA. 
but the shrinking cost at the pump threatens to cloak bigger problems ahead, and those appear to be showing up in the skyrocketing cost of the fuel that plays a leading role and powering the overall economy, and that is diesel. If you want a peek at the future, look at how the price of New York Harbor diesel fuel is rising. At more than $200 a barrel, that fuel blend, the current standard, is more than double the price of regular gasoline, and that gap is a major reason why so many other goods are getting more expensive. Tom Closa, Global Head of Energy Analysis at Oil Price Information Service, says these numbers are incredibly high. It's hard to find something that's more insidious than high diesel prices because the way that everything in the country really moves, whether by rail, by boat, or by truck, it's diesel-fired. While it's still about 50 cents a gallon lower than the all-time peak reached in June, it's still about 50% more expensive than it was a year ago at this time. The reasons behind this get directly to why there are no easy fixes for this kind of problem. As Javier Blas at Bloomberg points out, diesel stockpiles should be 30% higher than they are right now. The banning of Russian oil and gas from much of the Western world is a major reason for that drop. But the whiplash in demand following COVID lockdowns is also still affecting the global supply. The last time there was this little supply, there were about 3.5 billion fewer people on the planet. Close a points out over Bloomberg. You know, some of the stuff is repetitive, but I don't think it hurts to hear it again. That doesn't even get to the vast expansion in infrastructure and how much more fuel is needed today to send goods around the world in a vastly more globalized economy. Places like Latin America and Asia also depend on it more than the U.S. does. But the sting will be felt everywhere. It's not just transportation that relies on diesel. 75% of all farm equipment relies on the fuel, meaning that the price of food is going to rise before it ever even gets on a truck. And it's not just diesel that's rising. Kerosene, which is typically used to heat homes in poorer and rural communities in the Northeast, is nearing $7 a gallon, like Tucker said. A significant expense for anyone who will need to buy one or two gallons per hour to heat a house in the winter. Jet fuel is about 23% more expensive than it was a month ago, with Europe still weaning itself off Russian energy. Extra demand from the continent could push prices up even higher this winter and into next year. Closa, the guy at Bloomberg, has been skeptical of Biden's gas policies but made it clear that the oil industry hasn't exactly been constructive in keeping the price of oil down, well, how are they going to do that, guy? He predicts the next real crisis in oil prices is going to come next year as Putin and Mohammed bin Salman, the de facto head of Saudi Arabia, lower production, stoking further upward pressure on the price of everything. He said we've got tons of people who are siding with OPEC and criticizing the Biden administration, but how can you root for MBS and Vladimir Putin versus the United States in this battle to mitigate high prices. Oh, okay. So he makes the case why it's out of the oil company's hands, but he doesn't really want to upset the Democrats, so then he blames the oil companies. Uh, There's a lot more. 
Yeah, over at uh, Mish Talk. Uh, Mike Mish Shedlock has the uh, uh, Global Economics blog. He's a registered investment advisor for Sitka Pacific Capital Management. And the article is entitled, There are only 25 days of diesel supply, the lowest since 08. And this was written on Monday, October 24th. So, I mean, maybe we're under 20 right now. I'm just going to give you the key points. The U.S. is... Uh, has just 25 days of diesel supply. Again, this is on Monday. Lowest since 08, according to Energy and Information Administration, the four-week rolling average of distillates supplied, a proxy for demand, rose to its highest seasonal level since 07. National Economic Council Director Brian Deese, that's a guy that always gets on TV and lives, told Bloomberg TV Wednesday of last week, that diesel inventories are unacceptably low and all options are on the table to build supplies and reduce retail prices. Well, I hope they don't nationalize it. In New England, where more people burn fuel for heating than anywhere else in the country, stockpiles are less than a third of typical levels for this time of year. At least two vessels carrying around a million barrels of diesel are due to arrive in New York after being diverted from their original destinations in Europe. So that is Mishtalk saying there are only 25 days of diesel, diesel supply left, and that was on uh, Monday, 24th. Uh, market news from Mansfield Energy Simplified has supply alert on October 25th. East Coast fuel markets are facing diesel supply constraints due to market economics and tight inventories, poor pipeline shipping economics, and historically low diesel inventories are combining to cause shortages in various markets throughout the southeast. These have been occurring occurring sporadically with areas like Tennessee seeing particularly acute challenges. Back in May, diesel prices rose by a dollar a gallon and supply dried up throughout the southeast. Over the past few weeks, market via market volatility has begun to echo the challenges seen in April of this year. Like before, markets are now seeing extremely high prices in the Northeast, along with supply shortages, along with supply outages, along the Southeast. In many areas, actual fuel prices are currently 30 to 80 cents higher than the posted market average Because supply is tight. Usually the low rack posters can sell many loads of fuel before running out of supply. Now they only have one or two loads. That means fuel suppliers have to pull from higher cost options at a time when low high spreads are much wider than normal. At times, carriers are having to visit multiple terminals to find supply, which delays deliveries and strains local trucking capacity. Because conditions are rapidly developing and market economics are changing significantly each day, Mansfield is moving to alert level four to address market volatility. Mansfield is also moving the southeast to code red, 
requesting 72-hour notice for deliveries when possible to ensure fuel and freight can be secured at economical levels. So the map here shows Code Red, Maryland, Virginia, North and South Carolina, Tennessee, Georgia, and Alabama. Have you heard this anywhere else? I mean, I'm trying to get the information to you, okay? I'm, I'm trying to do the legwork here for you. Again, I, I don't ever want to hear anybody say, why didn't you tell us? Over at FreightWaves.com, an article that dropped Friday, October 28th, East Coast retail di- diesel prices moving significantly higher than overall U.S. hikes. So this will be an update on what I just shared with you from um, Mansfield Energy Simplified. Okay? East Coast retail diesel prices are soaring relative to the rest of the country, propelled by inventories in the region that are almost half of what they normally should be this time of year. Retail prices recorded in the DTS data series and sonar tell the story of how much diesel has surged. On September 16th, retail diesel in Allentown, Pennsylvania, a major logistics center, was 5.116 a gallon. That's Five dollars and round it off to twelve cents. Okay. While the Houston price is only four and a half dollars a gallon, a spread of just over sixty cents per gallon. On October fifteenth, a month later, Allentown was five point six six three a gallon, while Houston was four seventy. A gap of over ninety six cents by Thursday. Allentown was 6.028. So $6.03 a gallon. Houston was still at 470. So the spread is now a buck 33 a gallon between Allentown, Pennsylvania and Houston. You see where this is going? The East Coast price blowout has been propelled largely by the tight inventory situation and in what is known as PADD1 the Department of Energy's designation for that region. Weekly statistical data reported by the EIA this week had PADD1, PAD1, inventories of ultra-low sulfur diesel at 21.3 million barrels for the week ending October 21st, a more than 7% decline in just one week. But more striking was the fact that those inventories are 56.5% 56.5% of the five-year average for the corresponding October weeks, excluding the pandemic-influenced data from 2020. By contrast, national inventories for all distillates, which are not broken down by specific grades, are running about 80 to 81% of the five-year average, and that is considered extremely tight by analysts. Tight supplies on the East Coast were also driven home this week by a supply alert published by Mansfield Oil Company. Oh, man, you're reading my mind. I was just there. A leading supplier of wholesale fuels to the East Coast and other parts of the country. Mansfield, in a supply alert published Tuesday, said it was moving to a level four alert on diesel supplies. It was not immediately clear what happens at level four. Though it is less severe than the level five alert it had implemented for Hurricane Ian. 
An email sent to Mansfield had not been responded to at publication time. The supply alert also said it was moving the southeast region to Code Red. Under the Code Red, the company is requesting a 72-hour notice for deliveries when possible to ensure fuel and freight can be secured at economical levels. The step below that, which was implemented for parts of the country during Ian, is Code Orange, requesting only a 48-hour window. The data on the East Coast supply squeeze is visible in other indicators. For example, data provided to freight waves by a third party shows the spread between Brent crude and ultra-low sulfur diesel delivered via pipeline in Linden, New Jersey, published by S&P Global Commodity Insights, which houses its Platts operations, recently has been near $85 to $87 per barrel. But that is down from just a week ago when it broke past $100 for three consecutive days. A month ago, it was around $50 a barrel. Other price data, befitting a market, a market in such turmoil, is all over the place. For example, Pilot Flying J, the travel center chain, publishes a downloadable spreadsheet of the retail prices throughout the entire 830-plus outlet system. And while prices there do show the East Coast significantly higher than the Gulf Coast, the spreads are hardly hardly consistent. For example, as of Friday morning, that is October 28th, Friday morning, the Pilot Flying J outlet in Pasadena, Texas, a Houston suburb, the home of Gillies, was showing a price of $5.199 a gallon. But in Stanton, Virginia, along Interstate 81, a key north-south route on the East Coast, prices are only 20 cents more than that. Head on up I-81 a little farther to Carlisle, Pennsylvania, though, and a gallon of diesel will put you back almost $6.40. That'd be a buck twenty over what it is in Houston. The weekly Energy Information Administration data is showing little difference between the East Coast and the full country. Just $5.341 a gallon nationally versus $5.379 a gallon on the East Coast as of Monday. The East Coast numbers are embedded in the national numbers, but the spread with the Gulf Coast most recently was over $0.39 a gallon, with the Gulf still below $5 at $4.987 a gallon. That almost 40 cent spread isn't even the highest this year. It was well over 60 cents during a similar East Coast squeeze in May. With those kinds of margins, East Coast refiners, a dwindling breed, are rushing to take advantage of it, those few that are left. Pad 1 refiners ran at 102.5% of capacity, and the week ended. October 21st, according to EIA, a statistical quirk as refiners find ways to exceed their nameplate capacity. However, it is generally viewed as not sustainable for lengthy periods of time. But that 100% plus rate is just recent. Normal levels of fall maintenance push that utilization rate between 85% and 90% for five weeks beginning in mid-September. It's also against a base capacity estimated by the EIA of 818,000 barrels per day, down from 1.22 million barrels a day through mid-2020. But the region has been hit with several refinery closures in recent years, the most notable being the giant Philadelphia Energy Solutions refinery, which closed several months after a 2019 fire. 
That took 335,000 barrels a day of refining capacity off the East Coast market. Not counted in the EIA figures from the government for the East Coast is the closure of the come-by-chance refinery in Canada's Newfoundland province in 2020. It is being replaced by a renewable diesel facility that will produce 18,000 barrels a day of that product, which can be consumed in diesel engines without any further processing. But if the 133,000 barrels a day refinery produced one-third diesel, which is a rough estimate for most refineries, that's still a loss of almost 30,000 barrels a day of diesel supply on the East Coast. The facility to replace come by chance is called Brya Renewable Fuels, and it isn't even in commercial operation yet. The irony in the tight market is that there are some signs of declining demand. The EIA's most recent figure for products supplied, its proxy for demand, showed all distillate consumption in the week ending October 21st at 3.87 million barrels a day. That is the first week less than 4 million barrels a day in four weeks, though demand had been less than that 4 million figure for 24 out of 25 weeks prior to that. But EIA data generally has the third week of October in excess of 4 million barrels a day as it comes in the middle of harvest season and consumers who use heating oil filling their tanks in anticipation of winter. Heating oil, like diesel, is a distillate, and weekly data does not break down different types of fuel and the product supplied number. Yeah, this is uh, this is bad. This is bad all the way around. There's no way to sugarcoat it. And I just uh, felt like it was my duty to share it with you. I mean, yeah. Let me uh, let me play one more clip here. Doctor Chris Kiefer. on nuclear power. Now, when he when he spoke about this, he was actually appearing on a uh, Canadian news network called Newsform. So here he is. And Dr. Kiefer, about two minutes left here, but I want to switch gears to address climate concerns around nuclear waste. Now, in a previous interview, you argued that uh, nuclear waste can be relatively safe if handled properly. So can you give us a, a quick recap of that? Sure. I mean, listen, there's no controversy. Nuclear waste straight out of the reactor is extraordinarily dangerous. But there's something interesting about dangerous things in a modern society. We make them safe. Think about flying in an airplane. You're at 30,000 feet, traveling 900 kilometers an hour, nowhere nearby to land, right? Over over the Atlantic Ocean, um, imagine that. You know, that is objectively a very dangerous thing to be doing. You know, an airplane has 10,000 mission-critical moving parts in it, and we make that safe. Nuclear waste is actually much easier to handle. It involves taking it out of the reactor underwater, moving it to a, a spent fuel pool where it sits for 10 years, and then putting it in a concrete and steel container where it sits for 100, 200 plus years. And the testament to how safe that is, is that there has not been a single documented death attributable to storing spent civilian nuclear waste. So this is an area that is hugely misunderstood, where there's a large misperception, and that's why I'm you know, such an eager communicator to talk on this topic. So... We got Tucker saying the people in charge of our government are children. 
They don't understand how anything works. They don't even understand the mistakes they're making. And I don't doubt that, but I think somebody does. I think George Soros understands what's going on. I think Klaus Schwab of the uh, World Economic Forum understands what's going on. I think... uh, They're trying to bring us to our knees. I think they want us to be like Zimbabwe or Venezuela. So we really need to pray for our country. Now more than ever. I know some folk who say that... um, God is judging us in the manner that uh, Romans one describes, and that may be that may be the case. And if you're sitting here thinking, "Okay, wait a minute, Doc, what are you talking about?" Romans one, what what, what do you mean? Well. Get a hold of a Bible. They're all over this country. It shouldn't be hard to find one. I mean, it's online for that matter. You don't even have to have a a hard copy of it. Just go online. Look up Bible, Romans chapter 1, and read it. And see what you think. See if you think that perhaps God is judging us according to what Romans 1 says. In the meantime, it's about that time. It's time to say hit it, Brian. We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. It's the Don Washburn Show Tweet of the Day. Brought to you by RedRiverYourWay.com. Red River Your Way is a big car dealership in the middle of the USA that believes in freedom, including your freedom to buy the car, truck, van, or SUV of your choice the way you want to online. Have it delivered to your front door anywhere in the continental United States of America. Today's tweet of the day is from the great speaker, Vody Bauckham, Jr., it's two minutes and two and twenty seconds long, and I believe it'll bless you. God, in His goodness and in His mercy, sent forth His Son, who was not born of ordinary generation, but was born of a virgin. Yes, the virgin birth matters. Why? Because if He's born of ordinary generation, He's born in sin. But because He's not born of ordinary generation, He's not born in sin. He's clean of sin. His record is clean. And He keeps His record clean. And He obeys God's law. And because he's fully God and fully man, he obeys the law of God on our behalf in his active obedience. And then in his passive obedience, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. 
All we like sheep had gone astray. Each of us had turned to his own way, but God laid upon him the iniquity of us all. And Christ died for sin once for all, the just for the unjust. And God imputes our sinfulness to him. And he nails our sinfulness to the tree. And Christ dies and raises again on the third day for our justification. And there's another imputation. The righteousness of Christ is actually imputed to us so that God can be both just and the justifier of the one who places faith in Jesus Christ. So that all those who come to Christ may enter in. So that all those who place faith in Christ might be saved, but not only saved but sanctified because he's the firstborn of many brethren. We're justified and we're adopted into the family of God and we're sanctified. And as his children, we begin to bear the family resemblance and we're further sanctified throughout this life by the very same gospel that saves us until one day when it's all said and done. We're not just saved from the penalty of sin. We're not just saved from the power of sin. But one day we're glorified and saved from the very presence of sin. That's the gospel that we preach. That's the gospel that we need. And that's the gospel that's more than enough. Amen. And amen. It certainly is. All right, you've been listening to episode 270 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show. The views and opinions expressed on the Doc Washburn Show do not necessarily reflect those of our advertisers, but they love us and we love them. Today's program has been produced by Tim Darable, directed by Mick Messy. This has been a terribly messy production. Portions of today's show will be taken overseas and dropped. If you'd like a transcript of today's episode of the all-new Doc Washburn Show, simply peel the roof off a Rolls-Royce panel truck and send it to Mansur's Computer Solutions, 7th floor of the Ephemeral B. Smoot Building, Whitehall, Arkansas, in care of Sheriff Mansur Sempier the Tenth. And that's the way it is. Friday, October 28th, 2022.